Stop, come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Back and forth, back and forth, yeah. Raise your hand if you like getting something for free. Yeah, we all like that, don't we? Even if we're very little. Did it feel good walking back without a treat? Did you want to feel bad? Come on. A little bit? Not at all. Well, if you, don't, you didn't feel bad, you can leave because I won't give you one. Then you can, won't feel bad. But all the rest of you who felt bad, badly. Badly. I think it's badly. Isn't it? If you felt badly, I have a treat for you. Because I don't want you to feel that way. But I want you to learn how much we can get ourselves liking the stuff and forgetting the message. We like the stuff, and we eat it, and it's gone. But the message that you learn in church, it stays with you all your life. All your life. I was talking to somebody who was one of my students from about 20 years ago. That's a long time. You guys got a long way to go just to get to be that old. And they were saying that they still remembered some of the things that I taught them and that we did in my religion class 20 years ago. What treat did I give you the last time I was here? You remember? Good. <laughs> You understand? How many of you remember what you got from your grandma and grandpa last year for Christmas? Two of you. How many of you remember what you got from uh, your uncle for Christmas last year? Do you really? Because I'm going to test you on it. Or are you just raising your hand? Isn't it funny? Sometimes we think we got to have, we want, we want, want, and we whine. You ever done that? like that and then as soon as you get it you can't even remember what it was so the lesson today is learn to remember and focus on the thing that's right and really matters and not get focused on the other stuff I do have a treat for you though today you see if you can remember that I'll go get it back here you don't have to come with me but, I mean, you could, I suppose. It's not like. There you go. Go ahead and grab one. Just, just one. There you go. Is that a little better? You go. There's still more. Y'all get one. <sighs> of course, that wouldn't be like us, right? I'm the only dumb one, dumb enough to sit around and 
listen to a 20-minute presentation on how many ways a knife can cut a tomato, or have any of you join me in that idiocy that uh, we seem to fall for so easily, you know? Um, you got to have this mop. It mops the floor by itself until you get it home. And then you find out, it, gee, you got to push it just like all the others, you know? And it doesn't get all that junk off. You still got to bend over and scrape it off or whatever else. And it's pretty hard to beat hands and knees in a good rag, isn't it? I mean, as your knees get older, you kind of wish you could just get that long-handled thing. But you begin to understand the process. I thought it was interesting as I began to look at this. We kind of come off Thanksgiving, and I don't know about you, but I ate really well. The cook did a really good job. And he made good turkey, and uh, we had uh, the gravy was too thin. But other than that, he did a good job. And everybody else that everything everybody else brought was wonderful, too. And so uh, we all ate only about uh, 150 calories worth <laughs> in the first two mouthfuls. And uh, you understand how this begins to go. So I asked myself the question, uh, how would you feel if Thanksgiving would have been spent in the cold with no food? Would you have still felt like the beloved? Would you have still felt as precious and special and the, all those other things that we sometimes, you know, we, we forget, you understand? We, 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 we remember how easy it is when something comes to us free and our bellies are full and we really, you know, didn't have to work that hard for it and, and, and you begin to put that all together and, and it's easier to be a thankful people uh, when things are going well, but even then sometimes we can struggle. Because being a thankful people is, is no small task. Like Ron said, it's nice that we remember at least once a year. Uh, it'd be far more critical that we would remember it day by day and breath by breath. And you and I begin to understand what it really means to be a thankful people and stop making all these assumptions we make about what God owes us and what he should deliver to us. Now, what's interesting about the text that was read to you, if you turn there in chapter 6, Open up your Bibles. If you need one, just raise your hand. We have people who gladly run one down to you, and if you don't have one, keep it. Uh, we want to give them away. So if you need to give one to somebody else, take another one and give it to them. But there's a kind of an interesting process that goes on in this particular section. And uh, the people who saw Jesus do the miracle had their bellies full. They liked that. It's called eating without any working. It's called retirement. It's kind of nice, right? You kind of go, you didn't have to do much this week and the money still came in. You know, I got a friend who retired at 55 and he, he goes, it's pretty nice. You know, you go to the bank and there's all this money there for you and you he, he likes to take it out in cash for some reason, like this. And uh, he said, you don't do anything, and all of that money's there for you. And I, boy, we can all relate to that emotion. We all kind of picture that's the way it should be. Well, for the first time, these people said to themselves, this must certainly be the Messiah. My goodness, he's given us something that we didn't have to work with or work for. And it reminded them in their minds of going back to the children of Israel when they were walking in the wilderness and God gave them something for nothing, which was the manna, which fed them every day. And they said, certainly 
this must now be the right Messiah because he's taking care of us and we now will not have to really work again because we will have all the food that we want to eat and everything that we need because he will from this point forward take care of us. And so in their mind, he fulfilled the requirement of the Messiah they wanted. You understand? Whether you know it or not, you have a certain perception of Jesus, right? A certain perception of how God should behave. If God really loved me, he'd be doing this in my life. If God really cared about me, he would do this and this in my life. And we get all these characteristics, and we, we sometimes don't say them out loud, but we notice them when our life doesn't go in the right direction. We have a fight, and our wife doesn't understand. Our kids don't seem to pay attention. And the values and things we thought were so critically important, the job and the securities that we have, begin to diminish. And our first thing we do is we get angry at God and say, there must be something wrong here because God is not the God I expected him to be. He's not delivering the way I expected him to deliver. Well, the same thing was true at this time with the children of Israel, the Jews that were around Jesus. They didn't want a God like Jesus represented himself. They didn't want that kind of Messiah. That Messiah didn't feed their bellies. That Messiah expected them to do things and to suffer things and to work things in life in ways that they weren't prepared or willing to do. In fact, in many cases, to follow that Jesus, that Messiah, that he represented himself to be, would cost more than not following him. Because in many cases, it would be, give up all that you have and come follow me. Turn away from this thing and turn in this direction. Walk away from that thing you think is so much fun and come and follow me. Honor your father and your mother even when they don't deserve it and you don't feel like it. Love your wife even when she doesn't deserve it and you don't feel like it. And I go, who wants a God like that? Well, the people, the Jews, didn't want a God like that either. But this God, this God, this Jesus, this Messiah, they liked. He fed their bellies and all they had to do is sit there. And they got all this stuff for nothing. This was the kind of Messiah they appreciated. Now they saw some advantage in following this Messiah, right? If I told you, I want you to repent of your sin, and I promise you, every one of you will make $10,000 this week. Come on, that kind of God's easier to follow, isn't he? Right? I could use a little extra money. Uh, not only that, someone will put a $100,000 the worth of retirement money in your retirement plan over and above everything else if you just repent this week and treat your wife differently. And you go, well, I suppose I could treat her different for $100,000. You go, are we really that reducible? And the answer is yes. Are we really that shallow? Yes. Are we really that capable of honoring God only when he fits our mold? Yes. Are we really that shallow in our walk with God and our faith? The answer is yes. And so here's Jesus dealing with these Jews. He knew their heart, it says, and they were going to come and take him by force, meaning we want you to be our king. What, why wouldn't you want a king like that? Why wouldn't you want a president that says, you know, make me president. I will give all of you an extra ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. Well, why wouldn't we vote for him? Something for nothing. At least the illusion is kept there. And so you understand that part of your personality. You understand how much more difficult it is to keep your eye on the thing that matters. 
just like a little kid, you can walk away pouting. Well, if that's the way God's going to be, I don't think I want to serve him anymore because it's too much work to serve this God. And you mumble your way down the aisle going, how come we didn't get our treat? I don't get the illustration. You understand, when you're two or three, you can understand it. When you're old like me or maybe like you, you and I are supposed to be understanding this at a totally different level. And so Jesus simply said, I am not going to hang around and let these people make me king. Now you understand the process. And he goes on from this point. When they came and found him again, I'm starting at verse 25 and verse 6 now. They asked him, Rabbi, where did you get, how did you get here? When, or when did you get here, excuse me? Jesus answered, he doesn't even answer their question, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's kind of an interesting little contrast. The miraculous sign was the signal he was the Messiah. But what they really wanted was their bellies filled. Right? I want to worship a God who does for me what I want him to do. That's the kind of God I want. Not the possibility that I need to adjust and grow and mature and develop into the person that God needs me to be because what I started with and the shallowness of what I think is so important. Can you honestly remember what you got for Christmas last year? And if you can't, can you remember it two years ago? That life and death emotion, do you remember the ones when you didn't get what you thought you deserved? You know, you didn't get the little sparkle stuff you thought you deserved from your husband or your wife or whatever the case might be, and you remember that because it hurt your feeling. And I go, but after that, do you remember what you did get? So many times it's extremely difficult for us to even remember that thing that we're willing to die and fight over and go to the store. I wanted to come in today and say, we're going to call this Black Sunday. From now on, this is going to be Black Sunday. You are going to empty your checkbooks into the church's coffers this Sunday so that we don't have to collect anything else for the rest of the year. Only you can't go shopping on Friday to do it. Right? You know, I go, Black, Black Friday, what in the world? We went out, how much did you spend? How much did you have to have? How many of those things we had to have will people even remember you gave them a year later? How many things that you bought that you can't hardly remember the list and you're trying to go, well, if I don't, then they're all upset. It is so real the difficulty is that we get ourselves so focused on the wrong stuff that we miss the things that matter. So Jesus goes, hey, I'll tell you why you're following me. You had your bellies filled, didn't you? You like that, don't you? You like it when you're made comfortable and God serves you. You like a God who takes care of you that way. You like a God who makes you comfortable. And he's scolding that. He's looking at them, not scolding them because they like that, but because they have their focus all wrong. They've got their eyes on the wrong thing. They have misunderstood who he is, and they have a, not an inkling at all. They're in the middle of a war. You're in the middle of a war, and you want your belly full, and you don't understand that in the middle of the war, it costs people's lives and circumstances and everything else, that you're being dropped into the middle of a spiritual battle that rages around you for your life and the life of your children's, for the life of your marriages, for everything else. You are being warred against, and you and I are more concerned whether we get that thing that makes our belly full, whatever it might be. And so the challenge in front of us, and he points out here, it says, 
but you are loaves and you're filled. Do not the work for, excuse me, do not work for the food that spoils, but the food that endures to eternal life. The Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He goes, what are you working for? What do you think you must have? What's that point of comfort you're seeking out in your life? I shared on Wednesday night of a young man who was born without eyes and born crippled to the point where he could not straighten his arms. And his testimony, we saw it on a video, his testimony was he could not walk, he could not stand up, and he found out at the age of two or three that he liked playing the piano. And he began to play the piano, and by four or five, he could play requests on the piano. At this point, in the point of the video, was he was sitting there as a trumpet player, because he played a multiple of instruments, but he was a trumpet player in the band at, uh, down in uh, Atlanta in Georgia. And uh, he was a trumpet player in the marching band. And they said, well, how are he, his band instructor, because he's such a fantastic uh, trumpet player, said, we want you on our band. And they said, well, what are we going to do with him? Just put him on the sideline. And the father said, no, I will dress up and I'll volunteer and I'll push him through the entire routine. And so there's a father in this marching band in college that pushes his son through the entire routine. And this son, when he was asked what it was really all about and how he felt and all these things, he said, I thank God for making me who I am. You understand? And I discovered at that point I shared on Wednesday was I discovered that's that point of thankfulness, discovering what matters from what doesn't matter. And you and I begin to recognize. So here's Jesus trying to get them. You keep pursuing the food that does not endure. And you miss the food that matters. You keep substituting stuff. How much stuff will you give your kids and your grandkids this year? How much stuff will you give away? And what will really matter? What will really matter? A year or ten years or when they're on their deathbed that you gave them that particular thing. Will it really matter to them? Will it really make a difference in their life? Or have you gotten yourself, like so many of us, including me, you get yourself so far over into the material stuff, you forget the things that matter, and you get busy with the things that don't. And here's Jesus opening their eyes. Focus on that which matters, not what that and that which doesn't. Then they asked him, what must be do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to keep on believing, it says to believe, but it means to keep on believing in the one he has sent. Neat concept of the work of faith. You keep on believing. That's the key. Keep on believing. When your life doesn't go right, you keep on believing. When you get sick, you keep on believing. When you lose your job, you keep on believing. When your marriage is going in directions you don't want to go, you keep on believing. You understand? That's the work I'm calling you to do. But, but Jesus, that's not comfortable for me. My belly doesn't feel full. Uh, my, my emotional cup needs some filling here, Lord. Right? And you get to that point where you are so focused on what it's all about in your world, your time, your stuff, that you begin to miss exactly what's going on. Did you hear all these, a uh, lot of Christian radio stations put on these What I'm Thankful For segments? And if you got a chance, I hope you all listened to some of them at least. One lady called up and she says, I'm an elderly lady now. One of my kids lives in California. Another one lives in Pennsylvania. And I live here in the Midwest. And she said, for the first year or two, I had these huge pity parties. 
every time we came to all these major events because my kids weren't anywhere around. And then she said, finally, God got me over that. And I began to discover, and she says, I'm going to go to work today on Thanksgiving. And we're going to have this meal with all those other people that have to be where I work. And she said, I thank God for the people God's given me. I thank God for my new family. I thank God for those workers that sit around and have accepted me, and I've accepted them. And I th you understand? She had discovered a new purpose in her life beyond her children, beyond that thing she thought she had to have and wanted. So here God goes on. Let me tell you the real work. The work is that you believe in the one who sent, that God sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe in you? Can you imagine the arrogance of such people? Well, then, if you want us to really be that way, you're going to have to do another trick. Jump through one more hoop. What's in it for me? Right? Isn't that what you ask so many times? I want you to love your wife unconditionally. What's the first thing you want to ask? What's in it for me? I want you to forgive your boss. What do you, what do you want to ask? What's in it for me? I want you to forgive those people who have said bad things about you. You want to say, what's in it for me? You understand? What we're demonstrating is this unbelievable selfishness. You better do one more trick, God. You better do one more thing to convince me that it's worth my time and effort to follow you. I don't care how many people you feed. I don't care how many of this or that. What's in it for me? And you better do it again and again and again. Because if it's not good enough... I'm not sure I'm coming down the aisle. I'm not sure I'm investing myself. What's in it for me? And so the challenge, of course, is here God's working with people, and they constantly throw up in their fa his face, hey, God, what's in it for me? And God looks back, and he said, salvation and forgiveness and eternal life isn't nearly enough? No, I need something different. What's in it for me? i got to have this and this and this change, or I won't invest my time in this i got to have this and this and this, or I won't care. you got to do this and this and this, and if you don't, I'm walking. And here's Jesus dealing with people like that then, and I don't think we've changed much. I think when things get tough, I think if Thanksgiving would have been different, I think if the economy would truly crash and burn, there would be a whole lot of people going, I don't want you anymore. I lost my pension to inflation or whatever else might happen. I lost this or that or something else. That what's in it for me is this unbelievable question that people ask all the time. And he said, what do you, and so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna. Notice how they go back to the manna in the desert as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat, meaning free. It's really what it means. He gave us free bread. He, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. You guys got it wrong. It got into your heads all wrong. You don't understand, do you? Oh my goodness, but we're followers of God. You're suggesting we don't understand the right thing? Didn't God say he would make us happy? I don't find that in Scripture. Do you? I find joy, but I don't find happy. And I also know that there's a whole lot of other promises like, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they hated me, they will also hate you. If Satan is my enemy, he certainly is 
your enemy too. And if you, th you understand, we go down that list, it's a whole lot longer than all of this warm, fuzzy stuff we like to make God deliver on and think that he's going to do for us. And I go, he goes on and says, he gave them bread from heaven free. And he goes on, Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Verily, verily. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Oh, there is something that is free. That's Jesus Christ and the gift of Christ for the wretchedness of a sinner like me. It is free. It is the real manna. The question is, are you willing to chew on it? Are you willing to understand the relationship? And he points out, sir, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. How is that possible? To be all around God's stuff, Jesus' stuff, and see Jesus' stuff all around you from little on and not believe. Is that possible in your and my life? Yes. You can see it by the manifestation of what people do. You can see it by the shallowness of their faith. You can see all the right words with none of the right actions. You can see it in our life, actions, thoughts, and behaviors of whether or not what we say and what we are are the same thing or whether they're two opposite things. All the Father gives me will come to me. That means all the people, all those people that the Father's given me, they, they will arrive. They're going to come. And whoever comes to me, will, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then the beautiful part, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes on him or in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The miracle of God is that in Christ he loved these people anyway. They had their lives totally focused on the wrong stuff. They were focused, determined on getting that stuff that was free. They wanted a God who always made them happy. They wanted a God who made them rich. They wanted a God who kept their country at peace. They wanted all this stuff, and they had created a God, and God whispers at you and says, Child, that's not what I've told you. It's not what I've revealed to you. It's not the kind of God that you will have, because if you follow me, the world will hate you. If you follow me, you will find your life getting worse in many cases. If you follow me, it's going to get tougher, not easier. I have told you this so that you're not surprised. Not to scare you away, but that you get the things in order. Because let me tell you the truth. When you eat of this bread, the manna that is true manna from heaven, you'll never be hungry again. This is not a blessing or a blessingless God. He simply says, I am going to cause you to refocus that you understand whether you're rich or whether you're poor. You'll know who you belong to. Whether things are going good in the marriage or bad in the marriage, you will know who, who you belong to. And you begin to put this high and low extremes, and Christ goes, you belong to me in every one of those circumstances, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And your promise is from the Heavenly Father right into your life and my life 
But he says, if you get focused on the wrong stuff, you will be just as shallow as these people, longing for all the wrong things, pouting and throwing your tantrums, walking away from God, and not understanding how it got there. And God whispers, he says, I want your bellies full of this bread. I want your bellies full of this drink. I want your hearts full of me. If you think your wife will fill up your heart, you are a shallow, foolish Christian. If you think your children will fill up your heart, you're a shallow, foolish parent. If you think the purpose of life will be filled up in some job you do, you don't understand life. If you think that your job and those people out there will not go on without you, you're dreaming. But me, I want you. There's no one else in my kingdom like you. There are, you are absolutely unique to me, and I would be incomplete without you. I want you to know how I feel. But if you go trusting in the job, in the money, in those other people, you're always going to be disappointed. I have told you this from the beginning. So get filled up with me, and as you are filled up with me, you won't be hungry begging from him or her what you can't get. You'll instead be filled up with Christ and the things Christ offers you. And so what God is offering to us is a relationship with him that is filled up with all the power that he wants to pour into our life. And as you and I begin to understand that, he turns us into those people that we need to be. And so these people like this, and he says, I'm going to tell you something. I want to raise you up. I'm going to stand you back on your feet. The world may knock you down, and one day it will knock you down, and you'll be flat on your back. But I will stand you on your feet, and it will not hold you down, and Satan will not hold you down, and death itself will not hold you on. I will raise him back up. And he says, that's what you get from me. But get the bread right. Get the focus right. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, my eyes are so shallow. I so easily pursue stuff. And I think stuff will win the heart of my children, my grandchildren. I think stuff will make people like me. I think stuff is what matters. And when I get all done, and alone at night, all of it has no value or purpose or meaning. And it fills boxes in my basement and my attic of stuff that most people could care less about or want any part of. Lord, it's the stuff out there that plugs my heart and keeps me from hearing you. I want Jesus not to be that kind of man anymore. I want that for our congregation. I want that for each individual of us here. I want us, Lord, to learn to focus on the things that matter. Help each of us do that, Lord, and teach us the things that matter. Help us not to be looking for more stuff, but to make a difference in people's lives with the things that last 10 and 20 and 30 years later. Make me that man today, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray together. Amen. As the offering is received, I